0: This is week three in our series on how to develop a willing heart. The Bible says some powerful things about willingness. That if we're willing and obedient, we'll eat the best that the land can provide. Amen? Uh-oh. We'll eat the best that the land can provide. It actually, as we get into this series, you're going to really see multiple scriptures. We've looked at really one that literally connects God's power to your willingness. That God's ability to manifest his power in any arena of your life is dependent upon your willingness. It's not dependent upon him, you know, begging him to manifest his power. He wants to manifest his power. He's ready to manifest his power. Big time ready. Right? Like we're believing God for an awakening and a revival, and I believe that that's already started, right? But we're not waiting for God to move. God's waiting for us. Amen. So let's look at this. Let's go back to Psalm 110. We looked at this in the first session. I want to I go a little deeper in this right now, and then we're just going to keep flowing. So it'll be good. Praise God. Psalm chapter 110, verse 1 I love this scripture, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. So you think about it, we have a dialogue between God the Father and God the Son, Jesus. Isn't it amazing? He comes out of the grave, he comes, he's here for 40 days, and then he tells everybody, listen guys, I'm I'm going back. I'm going to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back, but now don't go anywhere and start doing stuff. I know how excited you are, but you have no power yet. You go to Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high, till the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He goes into heaven, what does he do? He walks up, here's the throne, the throne, you know, we think of a throne as just one seat, but the throne's they would sit multiple people. So here's the father says to Jesus, sit at my right hand till I make all your enemies your footstool. Then in Revelation, we fast forward all the way. So this would be literally about 2,000 years from when Jesus came out of the grave. Here we are at the end of the tribulation period and look at what happens While on the earth, these two witnesses, they've been killed. They've been laying in the streets. The world's been rejoicing over this whole thing. They've been dead for three and a half days. They're getting ready to stand up on their feet and then be taken into heaven in front of the whole world. And then after that happens, when people are looking up going, whoa, the sky is going to roll back. And now the King of kings and Lord of lords is going to come back in his second coming and establish his kingdom on the earth. Well, before he comes back, Revelation 11:15 happens. And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. This is happening right at the time when about all these enemies are gonna be made his footstool. So then we go back to Psalm 110, verse two. Verse two says, The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. This is talking about the manifested power of God. I'm gonna send my manifested power out of Zion. And then he says this, because of that, rule thou in the midst of your enemies. Satan, because Adam gave him this authority in the garden, Jesus called him the God of this world system. But guys, Jesus got, stripped Satan of all of his authority And gave his authority to the church. So now Satan operates as an outlaw in this earth. He has no power over your life. So Satan, as the god of this world system, he was stripped. So now he's a defeated foe. Right? Do any of the epistles call Satan the god of this world system? They don't. Jesus called him the God of this world system. Okay? But he said that before he went to the cross. Now, now he was God of this world system, small g. But then after Jesus stripped him, he stripped him of all power, all authority. So now Satan operates as the God of this world system only to those whose minds he's blinded but he is not he has no authority in your life Amen. he has no right in your domain what is your domain in your body he has no right no legal right in your house he has no right in your family no legal right that's not my opinion that's bible he has no right in any of your things, any of your stuff. He has no right in your business. He has no right in your ministry. He has no right in your career. He has no right in your church. Zero. If any of you are sitting here today and you feel like, man, he is really messing with me, realize he has no right to do that. He has no power to do that. Amen. He's operating as an outlaw, and you have authority to stop him. Oh, he may come. He may cross that line illegally. He may attack your body. There may be symptoms, but they've got to leave. Poverty and lack might try to come in your life, might be eating your lunch, get you to make some stupid mistakes or, or some things happen, but you can once you learn this, you can get him out of that area of your life. Get him out of your family, right? We are to rule with the authority of the name of Jesus in the midst of Satan, in the midst of our enemies. That's what this is saying. We rule in the midst of our enemies. That's that's your life right now, tonight. Man, I hope when you leave here, you're just salivating. Satan, I dare you to mess with me. You throw a thought in my mind, I'm going to grab that thought, and in Jesus' name, I'm going to rub your face in it, <laughs> shove it down your throat, and kick you in the face. Amen. Because I'm done with this. See, we are just like, oh, we're just nice little Christians, and, you know, let's just beg God, because, you know, we're just wretches, and, and gosh, if he wants us healed, we'll just be healed, and if he wants us blessed. No, it doesn't work that way, because he's out to kill you. And he has no power to do it, so he's got to get you, he's got to get you allowing the pressure from the outside, all the circumstances, all the voices, everything in the world system. Just just start watching a lot of TV, yep. right? Just start reading, read the newspaper, listen to the news every night and stop getting in the word and see what happens. Man, there's pressure coming from everywhere and he's trying to take all that pressure and take you as a child of God who has been made to walk like God on this earth to try to press you into the mold to think like you don't even know God. To where you feel something and you get afraid Or, or you feel something and your emotions are unhappy and you let that just mess up your life. No, 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 that's not who you are. God is saying, I want you to rule and reign and have dominion in the midst of your enemies. Paul's thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan. Everywhere he went, the enemy would come and rile people up and they'd beat him, throw him in prison. They'd do everything to try to stop Paul and Paul goes to the Lord and goes, Listen, God. Can you, can you take this out of my life? And God never said no to him. He gave him his answer. He said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Right? Always. And Paul literally overcame. He went beyond the normal mark. The thorn in the flesh never stopped him. In the same way the enemy could come but the Bible says when you understand who you are in Christ, he'll come against you one way, right? The wiles of the devil in Ephesians, that, it's the Greek word noemata. He comes down one road, one way. But the Bible says when you submit yourself to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you seven ways. That's fun to watch. Could you imagine somebody, watching somebody flee from you seven ways? He's running over here and falls and runs over here and falls and just freaked out because he knows who you've been made. But God has to get you willing and obedient. He's got to get you to choose that so that he can manifest his power because we're no match for Satan in our own strength, right? We're no match for him there, but he's no match for you in Christ. So we're to rule in the presence of our enemies. Wow, that sounds a lot like Psalm 23, doesn't it? Psalm 23, verse 4 says this, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Guess what the valley of the shadow of death is called? It's called earth. earth. Right? I don't care how pretty it is, it's still the valley of the shadow of death. But it says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Look at this. He goes on, your rod, your staff, he talks about all that. But then in verse 5, he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Those enemies that are coming against you financially, literally, they see the table with all the abundance that God has provided for you, but they know you can't see it in the natural. So they just work overtime to get you to feel like you have nothing. But I gotta tell you guys, you're gonna see this real quick. This seen realm is not even as real as the unseen realm. The unseen realm is what created the seen realm. He prepared a table for you in the presence of your enemies. So while you're complaining or hurting or in lack, realize those demons are laughing because they're throwing thoughts and you're taking them, and they're laughing because you don't realize you're standing right at the table that has your answer. It's yours. But we are not like those that don't believe that. We believe it. I believe this is true. He is Jehovah Jireh. Before I was ever born, he prepared a table for me. It has everything that I will ever need to live Zoe life abundantly while I'm here on the earth. Everything, all the money, all the healing, all the health, everything, every desire. Guess what? Every desire that is in your heart, All of your future is on that table. He prepares a table for you in the presence of your enemies. Look at this. You anoint my head with oil. So not only do you have everything you need, but then he anoints you. And what does the anointing do? My cup runs over. In other words, the anointing brings you to a place of more than enough. It brings you to Ephesians 3.20, that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you could ask or think, right? And as you delight in the Lord, he's able to give you the desires of your heart. And then as you believe you receive them. then you could lay hold and you just go over to the table and pick it up and pretty soon you see it in this realm. It's the way it all works. I love this so much. So now we go into verse 3. Psalm 110, verse 3. It says, thy people, and this is what I really want you to see, thy people shall be willing in the day of your power. God is saying, when I manifest my power, my people are willing. Right? Right? So let's look at this. The American Standard version of this verse says, thy people offer themselves willingly in the day of thy power. There is a direct connection between God's power manifesting in your life and your willingness to yield to him. This is why we're seeing such a lack of power because Christians are yielding to the desires of their flesh. They're not yielding to God. Why? Because they just don't know him. Why? Because they're up to here with Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you know, iPads, Apple Watches, You know, iPhones, and and I'm up to here with, you know, Sister So and so's having a Big Mac at McDonald's right now. And oh, look at this cute little story. And oh my gosh, look at this guy that I don't even know. Look at what he did. I don't have time to be in the Word, Pastor. Really? I don't have, I'm too tired to come to church. Isn't it been hard physically on you guys tonight? Just so hard right listen man i'm telling you if you can't if you can't even get your butt in church and you can't even and you can't even do this this kind of a curl right if you can't do that do you think you're going to keep cancer from taking you out do you think you're going to keep the enemy from killing you no do you think you'll ever be able to be satisfied in life no but then what happens with Christians, especially in our circles, we you know, if you're in some denominations, man, they don't expect anything. But then you come over here in our camp, Look out. and oh my gosh, pastor, listen, I'm blessed. I don't care about anybody else, I just want to be blessed. I'm not watching a baby in a nursery, I'm not going to usher, no, I need to be blessed. On, and we wonder why we don't ever... Get rid of this inner turmoil in our heart because we're not walking in what God has for us. But oh, if we will just yield to him, power is manifested to take care of stuff in our life that we are not designed to take care of. If you have sickness in your body, it's not your job to get it out of your body. Right? Right? By, by, by sitting here trying to figure out, okay, how can I cure myself of cancer? No, 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 no. Now, you might do some things in the natural as the Lord leads you, eat right, exercise, do some things like that, get rest, drink water, whatever, right? But you better have the word in your mouth and you better be getting up and going, Satan, I refuse. I reject every symptom in my body. I reject poverty and lack. I reject depression. I reject fear right? We've got to be willing to yield to him. We don't ever yield to the enemy. I'm not yielding to my flesh. I'm not yielding to this pressure on the outside, which if I look at it and I look to it, it's going to bring death in my life. I yield myself. See, you're going to yield to something, right. right? So we've got to yield to him. Fully willing, what does that mean? Fully willing means I'm fully committed. I fully obey. I fully believe. If he said it, I believe it. Do I have to understand how it's gonna come to pass? I don't care. I don't care how God heals my liver. I just know my liver's healed. Does that make sense? So now, let's look at Psalm 119. Psalm, Isaiah 119. Isaiah 119. This is We looked at verse 18 and 19 before, but now let's just look at verse 19. I hope as we go through this and as we look to the word of God to precept upon precept, lay out, how do I develop a willing heart? Man, I'm telling you, this will change every aspect of your life. It will bring the power of God into your life. Isaiah 119. If you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. It doesn't say you might, it says you shall. And this, this phrase, the good of the land, is the best that the land can provide. The CEV version brings out these Hebrew words very clearly. God says this, if you willingly obey me, the best crops in the land will be yours. Could, and, and you know, think about your life right now. You could kind of, if you really think about it, you, you can see some desires of your heart. The only thing you can't see, unless you meditate in the word, is really how good all these things really are. To see the power of God, to walk in the blessings of God, to see revelation of who God is in his word, it all starts with you being willing and obedient. Now to be obedient, to get your behavior right, realize it's not because you got to be strong enough to overcome these wrong behaviors. No, you have to gain revelation knowledge that you've been made righteous, when you have revelation knowledge that you're the, you've been made the righteousness of Almighty God in Christ, your behavior will change. You'll stop messing with this junk because you'll see it for what it is, death, right? Hallelujah, wow. 2 Chronicles 16.9 is another scripture we went through on week one and I have to go through this again. It says, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. What is he doing? He wants to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. That's what, this is the part of that verse I want you to see. God is looking all over the earth. He's looking for people who have a heart that is perfect towards him. Wow. What does he mean by a heart that's perfect? This Hebrew word means to be faithful. It means a heart who is loyal to him. A heart who is dedicated to him. A heart that is devoted to him. A person who is wholehearted towards him. This word perfect means... (laughs) A heart who is fully willing. God, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. I don't care what it, what my flesh thinks about it. I'm willing to do whatever. God is looking for a person with a heart. Notice it didn't say a person who never makes a mistake. It didn't say that. That has nothing to do with it. We even remember we went through, we saw Asa. We looked in the Old Testament at Asa. Man, his heart was perfect, the Lord said, but yet he did a couple things wrong. Another guy, what, Amaziah, remember him, the king? He did everything right, but his heart wasn't perfect. So he didn't do it with a willing heart. God wants your heart willing because, see, he wants to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect. This word strong means he wants to fasten upon you. He wants to cleave to you. He wants to bind you to him so that he can strengthen you, so that he can cure you, so that he can help you, repair you, fortify you, and establish you. That's what God wants to do. Isn't that amazing? There is no case that has gone too far. God is a God who makes all things new. But you've got to be willing and obedient. Otherwise, he would have to violate your will to do this. He can't bind himself to you so that he can cure you, repair you, fortify you, strengthen you, and establish you if you're saying, no, I want to do my own thing. Right? So this is a perfect heart is someone who's completely willing, they're wholehearted, God can only show himself strong to those who are completely willing. Guys, this is, this is the issue in the church today. We're just yielding to too much stuff, right? We got to stop yielding to wrong thoughts. We got to take those thoughts captive and yield to right thoughts, right? So let's look at a story about Peter about Peter walking on the water because I want you to see how I want you to see this contrast what happened to him so let's go over here go to Matthew 14 you guys doing okay yeah. I kind of blew up in your face here but that's it's a good thing it's all it's all good I'm not an evangelist right I might have blew in I might be blowing up but I'm not going to blow out okay I'm, I'm here I'm with you guys right we live together Matthew 14, verse 22, this, this story we're going to read through from verse 22 to 27, and then we're going to say, you know, just, well, actually, we'll probably go through the whole thing, but uh, we just want to pull out some things. So here, and straightway, verse 22, Jesus constrained his disciples to get in, into a ship and to go before him unto the other side. He constrained them, Right? He constrained them. So the meeting's over. Jesus is like, okay, guys, you guys hop in the boat. Go to the other side. I'll be with you. I got to go spend time with my father. Oh, no, Jesus, no, it's okay. We'll just wait for you. No, guys, I, I just want you to go. You go. I'll come later. No, 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 Jesus. Come on, guys. He constrained them. Guys, shut up. Get in the boat. Go to the other side. Oh, okay, Jesus. Right? Right? You guys, you, you've talked about this, right? Honey, where do you want to go to lunch? I don't care. Where do you want to go? I don't know. Good right? You know, I mean, it's, it's, we've had these interactions. And he sent the multitudes away. So he sends his disciples in a boat. He sends the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with the waves, for the wind was contrary. So again, Satan is blowing this boat all over the place. There's a storm of wind, right? And in the fourth watch of the night, so Jesus sends the multitudes away. Now it's somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., probably closer to 3 a.m., Right, The fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, is this a spirit? And they cried out for fear, but straightway Jesus spoke unto them, saying, be of good cheer, it's I. Don't be afraid. They're like, Jesus, what are you doing? He's like, well, my father likes to walk on the sea, so I'm just walking with him. We spent a bunch of time. I mean, the book of Job says... That God the Father, he loves to walk, tread on the sea, right? I can't go for a, I can't wait to go for a walk on the sea, right? I've been in the Pacific Ocean, but during the millennial reign of Christ, I'm going to be like, Jesus, can we go for a walk on the Pacific Ocean, (laughs) right? I mean, it might even be exciting to go for a walk in the Atlantic Ocean. I, I don't, you know, I don't know, but the Pacific, that would be pretty cool. All right, I'm just teasing. So look at this, Peter, When he now the boat's going everywhere, big storm of wind, Gee, they see Jesus, now think about how they saw Jesus, there he is, and then a wave probably covered him up, you know, like came in between where they didn't see him, then, oh, there he is again, wow, is that a spirit? No, no, it's Jesus. The first thing out of Peter's mouth, and Peter answered and said to him, Lord, if it be you bid me to come on the water, right? Peter did that because Jesus said, follow me. And growing up in the region of the Galilee, if a rabbi ever said, follow me, it literally meant, I believe you can do what I do. And he heard Jesus' rabbi say, follow me. So he's like, okay, Jesus, you're walking on the water, Bid me to come out there to walk on the water with you. And what did Jesus say? Come. One word. But he had one word from God. Right? So in other words, he had the word of God come. In other words, Peter, come to me. You could walk on the water. So look at what Peter did. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, Could you imagine the ship is going everywhere, he gets to a place, jumps off, lands on the water, liquid water, and he starts walking. He starts walking to Jesus on liquid water, right? So he's looking at Jesus and he's walking towards him on the water. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. Now time out. He was in the ship for how... We don't even know how long with the wind being boisterous. But when he looked at Jesus, he had the word from Jesus, faith comes by hearing, When he heard Jesus say to him, he no longer saw the wind boisterous. All he saw was the word. All he saw was Jesus. Okay? Am I I taking this out of context at all? Right? But the minute, so here he's walking to Jesus, all of a sudden, he's getting splashed a little bit, and pretty soon he starts he gets his eyes off the Lord and he starts going, oh man, it's, the wind is boy. There's some big waves out here, right? He gets his eyes off Jesus and immediately he starts seeing something else. In the same way, when you get your eyes off the word, you start seeing something else. You're never in a place where you're just in the neutral. You're either in faith or you're in doubt. Right? You're either walking supernaturally or you're sinking. You're either walking by the laws of God or you're sinking because of natural laws. Do you see how, apply that to everything in your life. The minute he stopped looking at Jesus, in other words, now if we take it for a New Testament believer the way it is for us, is the word from Jesus is on the inside of us because we're born again. The wind is on the outside. Who you're going to look at is who you're going to believe. Right? Because why? Whatever situation you're in tonight, do you know God has already promised you victory and triumph in it? Everything. Yeah, but pastor, I caused this whole thing. Doesn't matter. Repent. Change your mind, right? It's all been paid for. But when he saw the wind boisterous, first thing that happened, first thing that happens when you get your eyes off the word of God, he was afraid. Spirit of fear is right there. This is not working, yeah, immediately. That's right. And beginning to sink. How in the world do you begin to sink? Have you ever jumped in a pool and you hit the water and you just go? No. So literally, he, be, he was sinking as he, I mean, he got his eyes off Jesus and he just started sinking into the water. Now, thankfully, Peter had enough sense when he was beginning to sink to cry out to the Lord. But have you ever, have you ever felt guilt or shame or condemnation. And you're looking at the wrong thing and you're sinking. And you just keep sinking. Because God, I've let you down so many times. Satan's going, yeah, you sure have. And you keep sinking. Man, I'm telling you, when I look at this, I I sit there and go, Peter, you are a rock star because I don't know how many times when I'm under the water, blup, 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 looking up at Jesus and he's like, Come on when out. you finally cry out to him, what does he do, right? But do you notice sometimes it takes you a while to get out from underneath the water because you're so far down there, right? What, is, what are we talking about? Peter simply did what we did, what we do when we take our eyes off the word of God. He was willing to do what God said, and as long as he kept his eyes on God, on Jesus, he was able to do what God said he could do. But the minute he started looking at natural things to be carnally minded as death, he literally started experiencing death. Could he have died? Yeah. He cried out to Jesus, though, and he said, Save me. And immediately... Look at this. He cried out and said, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand, caught him immediately. Why is that in there immediately? Because when you blow it and you become not willing and not obedient and you start speaking all this junk and start doing all this stuff and and everything, if you'll ever gather yourself and go, Lord, I repent, man, save me. He immediately will start moving in your life. Why? Why? shouldn't there be some repercussions right have your parents ever been like man if you better if you do that this is going to happen right do you know with god see he doesn't do that do you know why because he so fully he so fully beat and bruised jesus and 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 everything was upon him and he literally smote him for you there's nothing left for you to pay for so that's why the minute you cry out he's there isn't that good news that was worth coming to church tonight for and then he said to him look at this immediately jesus is like immediately he starts teaching him why so he could so he can literally he could see victory in his future He immediately caught him and he said, Oh, you of little faith, wherefore did you doubt? Why did you doubt? Right? And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. Wow. Do you see that? Peter was willing to put his life on the line and walk on the water with one word from Jesus. And even when he messed up, if he cried out to Jesus he walked back with Jesus. Right? Look at Abraham. Go to Romans chapter 4. Abraham, Romans chapter 4 verse 17. Look at Abraham's faith. In Romans 4:17, it says this, as it is written, and now the word of God is going to quote Genesis 17:5. As it is written, God said to Abraham, I have made thee a father of many nations. And God, notice God said, I have made you. That's like past tense. I've made you a father of many nations. He spoke this before Abraham had any children. Sarah could not have children when she was younger. Now they're both older and they have no children. And God spoke this to them. And then it says, before him whom he believed, even God, who quickens the dead, he makes alive the dead, calls those things which be not as though they were. He calls those things which be not as though they were. That's why he said, I have made you before Abraham had ever had any kids. God has spoke some glorious things about you. Right? He said, I know the plans and purposes that I have towards you. They're good. They're to give you an end of expectation, right? What things soever you desire, when you pray, believe you receive them and you'll have them. I mean, God wants you to live Zoe life. I have come to give you an overflowing supply of the very life of God, Jesus said. And then it says this, who against hope, verse 18, believed in hope, who against hope believed in hope. He had no natural, there was no way in the natural he could have a child, let alone the deadness of Sarah's womb. She couldn't have kids when she was younger. Now she's old. There's no way. But in the middle of no natural hope, he believed in hope. In other words, he had a joyous, confident confident expectation because God said it, he would do it. Even though there was no way in the natural for it to happen that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. Then it says this in verse 19, and being not weak in faith, so if you're not weak in faith, guess what you are? Strong in faith, right? And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about 100 years old. So he's 100 years old. His body is dead, but he didn't make that the determining factor. Neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb, who was 90. He didn't make that the determining factor. In other words, he never looked closely and considered and examined. He never was looking, as he walked through life, he wasn't looking at the natural At the natural possibilities, he was looking at what God said. He was looking at what God said. God said, if you'll delight in my word, I'll give you the desires of your heart. He said in Psalm 23, surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. And you'll dwell in my presence forever. It goes on and it says, Well, if you look at verse 19, see, in other words, Abraham was not looking at his body or Sarah's body to tell him his answer. He was never looking at natural things to tell him his answer. Will you, will you trust in the name of Jesus in the midst where it doesn't look like any way? Will you who maybe have lived with a certain behavior your whole life, are you willing to change? Are you willing to lay this down if God says lay it down? Are you willing to let this go if God says let it go? Are you willing to go do something if God tells you? Are you willing to do whatever he says? If you are, you'll see his power. Abraham was not looking at his body to tell him what his answer was. Abraham did not allow his body to tell him whether or not God's word is true. And will you be willing and obedient, and will you refuse to ever let a circumstance, a situation, anything in the natural, will you just refuse to let that tell you that God's word doesn't work? If you are, you'll see the power of God. Because he's faithful. It says in verse 20, he staggered not. This means he didn't oppose. He didn't differ or contend with. He didn't waver. He he, he wasn't of two minds. He wasn't trying to stand in two places. He didn't go, well, you know what, we're going to have kids. And then all of a sudden, no, no, it's just not going to work. Nope, he refused. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. He was strong. It's the Greek word andunamu. It means he was empowered. It means that his strength was increasing. That means every day that he refused to let circumstances tell him what God's word, right, they never let those circumstances tell him God's word would not work. He was strong. God was every day strengthening him. He was increasing in strength. When you're strong in the Lord, you don't just get strong. See, everything in God increases. So when you step into God's strength, at 8.12, I'm really strong. At 8, 12, and 5 seconds, I'm even stronger. And every time, I just keep getting stronger and stronger. But if I ever get my eyes off of God's word and on circumstances, I start sinking. He grew strong in faith, looking at the promise of God. Looking at the promises of God kept him from being swayed by his body. So the question is, Are you going to literally respect the facts in your body or in the circumstances, or are you going to really respect the truth of God's word? Are you willing to be willing and obedient? When it comes to Jesus and you, take away all the options. He is good. You can trust him. If he tells you to eat Brussels sprouts, they're going to help you, right? And it doesn't matter which, well, I don't like them, he doesn't care, right? Whatever he tells you to do, when you're minding your own business and you're, you're really busy, you know, some of the busiest times, the Lord will literally just stop me and say, tell that person about me, go up and talk to them, right? They look, when you're walking up to them, you can just see them right? And you're just going, here we go. But there is no option for me, right? And sometimes it's glorious. You walk away going, wow, that was just so awesome. And then other times it's like what happened to me in Balboa, right at the base of the Balboa pier, right? You know, I walked up to this guy, motorcycle gang, and I told him that Jesus loved him and he spit right in my face went in my mouth oh my face all his guys are laughing at me right and and I, I got to be honest with you my Sicilian blood did not even get riled up because I'm like I am sure this guy would have no trouble like he's the real deal he'd shoot me and not even feel guilty about it so I'm just going to be nice <laughs> so I'm like well have a great evening turn around walked away People in my College of Cure group are over here going, (laughs) right? It's okay, yeah. But you know what? I didn't realize it, but the dude sitting three motorcycles down from him found me later that night, and I led him to Christ. And I wouldn't doubt if I don't see that guy in heaven because I could leave, and guess what? Everywhere he goes. When he's in the bars, when he's taking drugs, everything within him is going, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. I love you. I love you, right? <laughs> Look at verse 21 of Romans chapter 4. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. See this, being fully persuaded. You should write, this, you should circle this Highlight this verse in your Bible and put right next to it, this is a picture of being wholehearted. Or if you don't have a lot of room, just write wholehearted and point an arrow, because that is a picture of somebody who is wholehearted, somebody whose heart is perfect, somebody who is willing and obedient. He was fully persuaded, being fully persuaded that what God promised him, he was able to perform it. Isn't that good news? Wow. Guys, I'm here to tell you, we're going to get into a lot of stuff in this series. It's so good. But God loves you. And he knows every roadblock, every blind spot that you have in your life. And if you'll just get, forget about trying to remove them, because if it's a blind spot, you can't see it anyway. Right? The word of God is what removes it all. So what do you do? You just give yourself a break, realize I'm forgiven. I'm a child of God. I'm the righteousness of Almighty God in Christ. My behavior might be all whacked out right now, but that doesn't matter. I am still righteous. I'm his child. So now God, I've never walked like this, and, and wow, this looks like, you know, if you were like me, I thought school was so that you could play basketball. I didn't know you actually needed to study You know, and all this stuff. But realize, we're not asking you to study academically or intellectually. We're asking you to be willing and obedient and start getting in this word and reading it and trusting the Holy Spirit to open it. And let the word of God pull out all the junk. I told the men we're talking about the renewing of the mind. Spiritual growth doesn't happen just because you read your Bible or come to church or hear a message, right? Now, you feel good. And if you'll stay with it, man, this stuff will start affecting you. Like, all these messages that you get here are designed to equip you to go walk out God's plan for your life. But if you will ever put God's word first place and submit your life to it, and go, okay, I don't don't understand this, but I know the greater one, the mighty teacher, the Holy Spirit, who knows all of it, is in me. And so I'm going to start reading, speaking the word over and over and over, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit will open it up on the inside of you, and you will gain knowledge of God. Right? And once you have that now, it will be your answer. It'll give you your answer, and now you just yield to that. And see, that's all of a sudden the Word of God will show a blind spot that you didn't see, and the Word of God will pull it out. It'll pull that thought process out of your mind. It'll renovate your mind so that you start thinking in line with the way God thinks. And I'm telling you, what happens in your life is the light gets turned up. And all of a sudden, those problems that seem so big become nothing because all you see is God and his great love for you and his willingness to move in your life. Spiritual growth happens when you align your mind with what you know of God in your heart. When you gain revelation knowledge of his word in your heart and you align your mind with that, that's when you grow spiritually. It will change your life forever. You'll become willing and obedient and the power of God will manifest and move mountains out of your life. Amen?